With prices rising so much in the real estate market, can you even afford to buy a house anymore? Stay tuned. Today, we're going to talk with a local mortgage broker who's going to tell us everything we need to know about home lending in 2022. Hey everybody, Melanie Atkinson here, Realtor with Smith & Associates in beautiful Tampa Bay, Florida. And today you guys might recognize who's with me. It's Patrick Storch with The Mortgage Firm. I have done videos with him before, and he's gonna talk about all the changes that are in store for home lending in 2022, and to give us some tips on how to actually buy some of these houses. Hi Patrick, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks great. very much for having me today. Of course. I always like chatting with Patrick. You work with a lot of my clients. We have some really exciting changes coming up in 2022. As everybody knows, the market in general, housing market, has been very crazy the last couple of years, right? Um, and in 2022, there's one particular change that's happening here that I want to talk about right off the bat. Tell us what that is. Well, in 2022, uh, our conventional loan limits are going to increase. Okay. Now, they increase every year, along with depending on the market area, okay? If the, the values of houses and incomes are going down, then they'll decrease. But with values of houses going up, with incomes going up, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, they adjust the loan limits every single year. Last year, they went up substantially. They went up to um, 550. I remember. Which was very nice. And we caught wind. Now, we normally don't catch wind until December, middle of December. Well, in early October, we caught wind that they were going to raise the conventional loan limits to $625,000. Which is crazy because that's so much more than it used to be. So what does that mean for buyers? That's a $75,000 increase. That is huge. Okay. Right. Now, what does that mean for buyers is... Qualifying for a jumbo loan, uh, it's sometimes the rates are very similar, but yet the qualifications for a jumbo loan, they're more stricter, they're daunting. It's, it's you know, I mean, we're lending you a lot of money, so we right. wanna make sure you can qualify. So a jumbo loan would be loan amounts over the conventional loan limit. That is correct. So why this matters is because before, when the loan limit, the conventional loan limit was 550, everything over that was gonna be a jumbo loan, harder to qualify for. That is correct. So at 625, more people are going to be able to fall into the conventional loan category, which is easier to qualify. How much easier? First off, you can buy now a home around 660, six, right in that area, and only put down 5%. 5% for a conventional 5 loan. 5% down, jumbo, or a large loan of 660. I'm so used to saying jumbo loan. It's mm -hmm. not a jumbo anymore. And as long as that loan amount is at, at uh, 625 or lower, we're going to use the conventional guidelines. Okay. Now, let's be real here. A lot of people who qualify or buy jumbo homes, a lot of them are self-employed borrowers. Yes. Okay? Because you got to make a lot of money to afford that. So, self-employed borrowers, mm, tax returns, things like that, they don't always look that great. Right. Okay? So, in some instances, it is easier to qualify for a conventional loan. Here's an example. On a jumbo loan, it's mandatory that we use two years tax returns, mm -hmm. period. On a conventional loan, as long as you've been in business for five years, I only need one year tax return. Can it be any of those years? No. <laughs> Darn. Now, here's Sorry, what's guys. big about that, okay? Because, especially with what's happened the past year or two, tax returns don't look that great. Right. 
So if Especially I to, for businesses. Businesses. And if I have to average two, two years of tax returns, and last year a lot of incomes were down. Mm -hmm. We have a problem with the jumbo loan. Right. On a conventional loan, I'm just going to look at last year's tax return, one year average, and then we can qualify you that way. We're going to talk a lot about self-employed buyers in a minute. First, I want to talk about, so that's a great change for 2022. I'm glad that we talked about that in the beginning. Now. Yes. So he can do it, it now. It takes effect in 2022. Select lenders right. are allowing the 625 loan amount now, so you don't have to wait for 2000. I know that because I have a buyer currently getting that benefit. Yeah. So if you're watching this in 2021, you can still do it now. I'm call Patrick. That's a really exciting change for 2022, the conventional loan limits. Very excited about that. The other question that everyone wants to know the answer to, so we're hoping you're going to bring out your crystal ball here, is what is going to happen to interest rates in 2022. Yes, that would take the crystal ball. I don't know if I brought that with me today. But, That's why you're here, Patrick. But I can tell you what the industry and everybody's talking about. So there's so much volatility in the market between stocks, bonds, just the economy in general. Our interest rates, historically speaking, they're low. Okay. They're very low. They're yes. very, very low. Are they the lowest they've ever been? No, we were lower. Our interest rates should have went up a lot last year, mm -hmm. the beginning of this year. Everyone thought they were, and they have not. Right. Okay, so the trend is interest rates are going up. And they have gone up um, in the last two, three weeks. Mm -hmm. Speculation, depending on who you talk to, is rates are gonna continue to go up in 2022. But they're not gonna skyrocket. Right. Okay, they're not just gonna, you know, I mean, we're in the threes, okay? We were in the twos. They may go into the high threes, you know, low fours, which is still historically low interest rates. Right. Which so. is what I try to make sure that everybody understands. It's really hard for anybody who's been paying attention in the last seven, eight years to understand that what we're dealing with, even in the fours and the fives, is still really low Absolutely. historically. Now, one of my concerns is that if interest rates start going up, then we're either going to have a huge push of buyers in early 2022 that are going to try to take advantage of the threes that we're still in before we get to the fours, or possibly see a decrease in demand once they go up. So how long does it normally take? How much do they have to go up for us to see a decrease in demand? Everyone's gonna need a home, okay? So whether the interest rates are, and I'm aging myself, but I, I, I wrote loans uh, at 9.99, okay? And we were very busy, mm -hmm. okay? So we've written loans at, in the twos, the low twos very busy. The lower interest rates tend to spark a lot of refinances, mm -hmm. okay? So refinances will dry up, but people buying houses, that's gonna continue. Suppose. Right, they need a place to live. Need a, need a place to right. live. So now what is that gonna do to your buying power? You may or may not be able to qualify for more of a house. You may have to step it down just a little bit. I'm finding a lot more clients are, it's not, What's the max that I can borrow? Mm -hmm. It's, hey, here's a payment that I'm comfortable with. Right. And then they're buying the house around that. And that's very smart. I ask my buyers that all the time. What do you want to pay per month? Let's work backwards yes. and go from there. Because there's so many things associated with your monthly payment between HOA fees, CDD fees, you know, all of that stuff. If you have a certain amount, then we work backwards. Mm -hmm. So, but 
as you said, one of the nice things about the interest rates being so low is everyone's had more of a buying power. They've been able to stretch their budgets to something that they didn't think that they could because monthly they could afford it at that point. So as rates go up, that might change and people are going to have less buying power. Just for your knowledge, if interest rates go up, say from three and a half percent to four and a half percent, and we're looking at a $500,000 house, about what would that do to your monthly payment? So a $500,000 house with approximately 20% down, okay. with average taxes and insurance, you're probably looking around $2,500 a month. Let's just say they go up a half point or more, you know, you're, you're adding another couple hundred dollars a month or so, okay. okay? But take that in consideration what rents are right now. That's a great point, because what we're seeing with rent prices going up so much, it is still better for most people, if they can afford it and qualify, to purchase a home on a monthly perspective than it is to rent. So talk a little bit more about Absolutely. that. Absolutely. So we have, and I have some real estate agents who literally work with investors and one in general, this, this investment company is buying 50 homes a month, strictly for rentals. Yes. And these rents, they're going up on the rents as much as they can and want to. Whereas if you price out, as we just talked about, a, a half million dollar house, $2,500 a month, that right now is a, a rental of a three bedroom, two bath, Apartment? Apartment? Yeah, okay. in an area that's probably pretty far from downtown. Now, you're also, when by putting money down, you're investing in your own property, you're investing in your future, you're investing in your house 401k is what I call it. Right, which is a great thing to do. I, I mentioned in another video that historically, buying houses have been, has been one of the best investments that you can make in your lifetime. Mm -hmm. So especially at interest rates as low as they are. Correct. Our value is going to continue to increase. That's more your expertise, but even with values increasing, you're still paying yourself every single month. You're still putting money into your house every single month and reducing that mortgage amount, okay, so that in 5, 10, 15, 20 years, you're going to have a nice nest egg. So we all know that it's been very challenging to get under contract in the last couple of years. I'm not expecting that to change much in the beginning of 2022. So as a lender, what are your tips for your portion of getting somebody under contract? I love that question. Thank you. You're welcome. So um, there's something that we as a lender do, and it's called an honor call. Okay. Okay. So when you're putting in an offer on a home and there's multiple offers or no offers, we would like for the real estate agent and our buyers, we like to know about that. And as long as we have all of your pay stubs, your W-2s, your bank statements, everything about you, I'm going to get on that phone. I'm going to call the listing agent. And I'm going to really, really, really talk you up. Right. Okay. Now, here's why I like this. Just yesterday, multiple offer situation, the listing agent won't always tip off the buyer's agent of what's going on. The listing agent told me, well, your offer is really good, but I just got another offer at $5,000 over. Thank you. Right. So then you can relay I that I now back. can relay that back to the agent, to the buyer. Hey, guys, listen, I think I can get you this house. I just need you to up it up a little bit. We're going to do a quick close. We're almost there. I think I got it. And then voila, later on, I'll get a contract. Um, right. And I think I had a part to do with that. I really so, do. So sometimes listing agents will tip their hat to you a little bit yes. more because they don't, they're not the, the other agent. Correct. And then also, just as a listing agent, whenever you hear from a lender and they're like, yes, I have all their documentation, it's advice that I've given all of you guys out there is to make sure you have all of your documentation into a lender. 
right away so you have that pre-approval letter. It makes that listing agent feel so much better about recommending your contract or at least letting the seller know, because the seller is the one that makes the, the, the ultimate decision, that they talk to you, mm -hmm. that everything seems great. Patrick is accessible. You, we're going to be able to get in touch with the lender. We're going to be able to get updates from the lender. This one is probably going to make it to the closing table, which right. is really what we want to know. Whenever a multiple offer situation is competing with cash mm -hmm. and you're a lender and your client is getting a loan, which happens all the time, but we have been dealing with a lot of multiple offers with cash. Is there anything you can think of that might make a loan contract actually beat a cash Yes. Contract. So okay. we have a tip for that too. Okay. So what we recommend is the borrower to definitely get us all of their documentation, pay stubs, W-2s, bank statements, tax returns, everything. We're going to send them through the underwriting process. You are going to be fully, fully approved. Okay. So that when you do put that offer in, you don't always have to check the financing box. Okay. You could possibly do the cash box. Okay. okay? Now, it's risky. It's very risky because the escrow deposit immediately could go non-refundable. Right. But we've already vetted the borrower. Right. Okay. Now that takes a financed borrower to the cash level. Right. Now on a cash level, typically not all the time, but cash level sometimes are offers are lower. Mm -hmm. Okay. A little bit. Sometimes they're not. So in that case, now you have a chance for the listing agent or the the seller to make a little bit of extra money. So let's. Pull that apart a little bit. That we've been doing that all year, for the record, for buyers. It, it is very nerve-wracking as an agent, as a lender, as a buyer. Me. Basically, what you're saying is that the buyer is qualified. You've you've Done. underwritten the buyer for that price point, so everything's great. The house hasn't been fully vetted yet, which is the part that becomes a problem with the appraisal. So it still has to appraise for the yes, value yes. that it's contracted for. So in order to do that as a buyer you really want to be confident in the fact that if it doesn't appraise, you have the cash on hand to make up that difference. That so say it's a $600,000 house and it appraises for five seventy-five, and you are you know, a, a cash buyer with financing, then you have to pay that extra $25,000 out of pocket. Now, that seems crazy. Why would you pay over appraised value? Well, one, it's been happening all over the place. And two, that's kind of what has to happen sometimes to get really popular resale homes. So that's really the risk. If you can't cover that, then it's probably not the best idea to do that. But that is a, I would say, more of a higher level strategy yes. for winning offers. And one that we have employed many, many times this year. Correct. And, and successfully. Yeah, and <laughs> Thank there's, there's one other caveat to that is there's a myth that also, if the house appraises for lower, that the borrower automatically has to bring that additional money to the table. That's not true. It depends on their down payment. Okay. If a borrower is putting down 25% down on a house and it comes in a little bit shy, we're just going to restructure the loan as a 20% down loan. Right. Nothing changes. Absolutely nothing changes. They bring the same amount of money to the table, but the loan to value changes. Right. The loan to okay. value is changing from 20 or 21% down to, you know, because you're covering that. So okay. technically you're still covering it in cash, but it's not coming. It's, it's not, not really. Now, when it comes to be a little bit more of an issue is when you're putting down 5%. Right. Because then that spread, it doesn't always work. Right. Okay. But if you're putting down five, you know, 10% or more, typically it's not that big of a problem. I had one yesterday where the guy's payment ended up being $20 more a month. 
just because the MI factor went up a little bit. That's all. Okay, so we've talked about kind of a high level buyer here. Let's talk more about first time home buyers and um, you know FHA loans, things like that. How successful have we been and how successful are you? I know. Uh, do you think that we're going to be in 2022? So FHA loans, or let's say government loans, are a little bit more uh, challenging to get approved right now. FHA, VA, USA. Uh, USDA. USDA, yeah. sorry. I, I would say they're not more challenging. We're getting them approved, but uh, agents or sellers are not wanting to take those type of contracts because there's some language in the contracts, um, especially on a VA loan, that for the most part, even all the way up until closing, if it doesn't appraise, if the buyers want to back out on a VA loan, that they can back out and you have to give them back their escrow deposit. So, we have talked about this in some other episodes. It is very difficult right now. It is. Um, FHA is another one. FHA, although it's not 100% accurate, but it seems it comes across as a borrower who maybe is not as strong. Right. Okay, because they're only putting down 3.5%. But with my honor call yesterday and why is the agent asking me why are they only putting down 3.5%? And my question, my answer to her was why not? Interest rates are really, really cheap right now. I want my buyer to keep their money in the bank. They can take the money and put it in the stock market. And instead of paying paying an interest rate of 3%, and they can make 8 or 9% in the market. So why put more money down on the house? I love that. That actually worked for several months in 2020. It is a harder sell to agents these days because mm -hmm. sellers always equate more money down Correct. with a loan that's going to be more likely to close, which we know in the industry is not necessarily true because a lot of people who only want to put 5% down have plenty of cash on hand. And sometimes they just want to buy furniture when they buy the house um, or have the money available for an escrow or for an appraisal gap, you know? So it is, but it's very hard. And I want to realistically, you know, set everybody's expectations that, what you're saying makes sense. Logically, it makes sense, but it is something that is very challenging to get somebody else to it accept is. in a multiple offer situation. Yeah, definitely. And then on on, on conventional loans, the appraisal um, contingencies or the appraisal, they're much more lax, mm -hmm. okay? When you do an FHA loan or a VA loan, the appraiser can call for repairs, okay? Yeah. And that's the big sticking point there. So if the house is in good shape, if it's a nice house and there's not gonna be any repairs or anything, then a seller should take an FHA or a VA contract. Right, yeah, it's tricky. We've talked about it in a couple of the other episodes. Um, new construction is a good option for people that are going VA or FHA because they're not worried about the repairs. Um, and builders tend to have more of a tolerance for that than multiple offer resale situations. Okay, so we've talked about appraisals, we've talked about jumbo loans, conventional loans. Let's talk about something that we rarely talk about, which is alternative types of loans. We talked a little bit early on about self-employed borrowers. This is something, anybody out there that's self-employed, pay attention now, because there are some products out there that Patrick's gonna tell us about that really help you get a house Yes. Being self-employed. Okay, so um, some people are like, oh no, it's back. Right, that's okay. my first instinct. Yes. <laughs> but it's back, okay? There are a lot of uh, lenders, our, our Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac's guidelines over the last 10 years or so, they've gotten stricter. Mm -hmm. It's called a qualified mortgage. You must qualify for the mortgage. Where beforehand, we just wanted to make sure you were breathing and we were giving you a mortgage before 08. Yes. So now you have to qualify for a mortgage. 
there have been some companies that have come out with what we call non-QM lenders, non-qualified mortgage lenders, okay? And what they are offering is they're bringing back the bank statement loans, okay? okay? So we have a lot of self-employed borrowers, especially in the last year or two, that their financials don't look that great, Right. okay? There's a lot of self-employed borrowers that when they file their tax returns, they have a lot more write-offs that even maybe that they should have. Right. So when they come to me and I look at those tax returns, sometimes I don't see any income at all. Sometimes I see negative income. Well, that was a problem about a year ago. Yes. Now we've come out with what's called bank statement loans, where we bypass all tax returns and we look at your business bank statements. We look at the deposits on those bank statements and we average out your deposits on the bank statements, legitimate business deposits, okay. and we'll use that as income. Now, I'm taking people with zero income to having $20,000, dollars $40,000 or more a month in income. How are we gonna prevent 2008 from happening all Great. over again? So here's how we're going to prevent it. Okay. Back in 08, it was little to nothing down doing okay. a bank statement loan. Fast forward, we're requiring 20% down, 30% down, so you have skin in the game. Right. Okay. okay. That's Much more skin in the game. Sure. So you're not necessarily going to walk away from that house right. like you could back in 08. Okay. okay. What so about credit scores? Credit scores. We used to 500 credit scores and we can get it done. Not anymore. Credit scores need to be in the 600s. It got to be a little bit higher. Okay? okay. Which is stopping a lot of what happened a long time ago. Okay. okay? But I will say we are financing and putting people into primary residence, uh, two and a half million dollar purchase, 20% down, bank statement loan, $1.6 million purchase, 20% down, second home, bank statement loan. You don't even, I hate to say this, but in some instances, you don't even have to have a job, okay? And we will use your assets to qualify you yes. for a loan. It's called an asset depletion loan. Yes, I won't I'm, touch I'm your familiar assets. with those but I will look at your assets. Well, you, that's an interesting point because what a lot of people don't understand as they're going to get a loan, if they're say retired and they have a lot of assets, they don't understand why those don't matter mm -hmm. to people. So, and they get very frustrated. A lot of people that use these types of loans are people that have a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So, and they don't understand. And they want to take advantage of the low interest rates because they're like, why would I use all my cash whenever I can finance for 3.5% or 3%? So that this product really is a lot for business owners and people yes. with a decent amount of assets, but not necessarily income that's shown on tax returns. Correct. And the difference now is back in 08, there was a lot of what's called prepayment penalties. Mm -hmm. And the lenders at that time would make you stay in the loan too. Right. Nowadays, all of these loans that I'm that we're doing right now, there's no prepayment penalty. So I kind of call it a patch loan. Okay, let's do a patch loan. You're going to pay a little higher interest rate. We're going to look okay. at your bank statements. But you know what? Next year, the year after, get your bank statements. I mean, get your tax returns in line. Okay, right. and then let's refinance you out of this. Yeah, I think people, people forget, you know, they don't want to pay a lot in taxes, so they, they deduct all these things, but then they forget when they need to buy a house, they need, they need their tax And they're going to pay returns. that tax savings and the interest rate of exactly. doing one of these type of loans. So. Exactly. As scary as that sounds, 
on the surface. I understand the need for the product mm -hmm. a lot because there are a lot of people out there in that situation, um, especially people that might be coming from other states that in general have a lot of assets, maybe buying second homes. So as long as you can assure me that we are not deal delving into some major subprime mortgage problem that we had before, mm -hmm. then I will take your word for it and we'll just consider that a good thing for 2022. <laughs> it's a, good thing. Good, it's a thing. good thing for 2022. So last topic that we're gonna talk about here and one of the things that we keep seeing in our market is a lot of investment coming out. A lot of people want to put money into this area. They feel like the rental market is really hot. We know it is. We know rent prices are high. So what are you seeing as far as investor loans? Okay, it's a great because back before, you know, the crash and everything, there was a lot of investors. Everybody was an investor. You could buy a home with no money down as an investor. Things have changed in that, uh, in that arena as well. The true investors are out now. Okay, okay. they're either paying cash for the properties and or they're financing them, but they're putting down a nice little chunk of money, okay? So with that said, these investors are buying homes, putting minimal repairs into them, and then they're turning them into rentals. They're turning a, a, a rental of a, and I know this is a lower price point, but a $200,000 house, you can have a payment of around $1,000, $1,100 a month, and you can rent that out in the Tampa Bay area right now for $1,800, right. okay? $800 a month? That's a nice spread. What we're seeing also are investors who are buying homes and they're turning them into Airbnbs. Now, Airbnbs is not new, it's been around, but yet there could be some good money if you're in the right place, the right area. So again, you can buy an investment property. If it's in the right area, turn it into an Airbnb. We do a type of loan called a fix and flip loan where you could actually buy a product, buy a, a, even a small apartment complex. Mm -hmm. We'll give you the money to fix it up, and then you can turn that into an Airbnb. There are some communities such as we live in Orlando, mm -hmm. okay, that's really, really hot. You can, in some instances, buy a rental property, and you can rent them out for $1,000 a night. Oh, yeah. yeah okay? Or more. And if you go into the higher-end um, luxury rentals, beaches, beach area, and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So that's another area that we're seeing uh, a boom in is mm -hmm. in true investors who have the funds. If the market crashes, they have skin in the game. They can handle it. They'll turn it into a 12-month rental and not an Airbnb. Yeah. So if you're a savvy investor, there are a lot of investors right now that are doing very well. My disclaimer for the Airbnb is it's very tricky in, in the area because you have to make sure that you're adhering to the proper Correct. city requirements and tax requirements. And that is something that I get asked about all the time. It is a very specific niche. Yes. So, but yes, people are making money. And honestly, we need more Airbnbs because we have so many buyers that are displaced and need short-term housing mm -hmm. because they're waiting to find a house or they're waiting for their house to be done. Um, so many reasons why we need Airbnbs. Mm -hmm. I have certain clients who do luxury rentals now, yes. which has never really been a product, mm -hmm. um, but we have people that can afford that are building houses or coming here and checking out the area for a year that have nothing to buy. It is a really, really, really big part of our market, but all those investors that use it as rentals are taking away from owner occupants. So That's it's, it's tricky. It it's is. very, very tricky. Well, I know that we are in for another uh, fun ride in 2022. Thank you for always uh, being there for my clients. If anybody needs to talk to Patrick, his info will be in the description of this uh, video. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. I hope you all learned something. You've been listening to the Melanie Loves Tampa Bay podcast experience. Thank you for your support. 
Consider subscribing if you want to learn about real estate, homeownership, or living in the Tampa Bay area. You can also follow me on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Links are in my show notes. Or visit my website, melanielovestampabay.com. See you in the next episode. With love, Melanie.